Chapter 23 A Diplomat Ronan's mind teemed with anxious thoughts. He was disorientated, kidnapped and betrayed, and at the heart of it was Ethan Blake. Looking back, he realised that he did not know Ethan Blake. He was a client for certain, but he was also a celebrity, which gave people the impression that they knew him. This was an illusion. All they knew was the televised persona. So the first point that Ronan made as he attempted to organise his thoughts was that he did not know Ethan Blake at all. Secondly, Ethan Blake had asked Ronan not to tell anyone that they were driving down to Limerick. Thirdly, he had told Ronan to leave his phone in the car. Fourthly, he had insisted that Ronan write a note to his parents rather than call them to say that he would be away for a few days. Fifthly, Ethan Blake had said that he would come back within the week. Since this was obviously a lie, it was safe to assume that he had been deceived in all other aspects of the transaction. Ronan tried not to think about his parents and failed. He doubted that his letter had been delivered and had no idea what they had been told. Dawn was breaking and the narrow windows on the eastern side of the castle had begun to show signs of light. Giving up on sleep, he went to look for Foylon and found him curled by the embers of the previous night's fire. Foylon looked more alien asleep, like a sea otter, Ronan thought, his dark brown pelt fluffy in the warmth of the fire. Wake up. Foylon rolled over onto his back, moving his spine in a profoundly unhuman way and muttered something in she. He yawned showing long and predatory teeth, and blinked his golden eyes. His pupils were vertical, like the eyes of a cat. For a moment, distracted by the musky scent of the she, Ronan forgot why he was there. Then Foylon smiled. Ronan had seen tribal people smile like that in photographs, their faces transformed by unguarded joy. He did not know how to respond. I need to talk. Perfect, Foylon said. I need to fish. He scratched himself and sniffed the air. Good day for it, too. All of the she seemed to have the ability to know what time it was and what the weather would be up to for the rest of the day. The boat was smaller and rounder than the one that they had arrived in and looked utterly unseaworthy. The advantage of the coracle, Foylon explained as they climbed aboard, was that it could be handled by one rower, kneeling in the prow with the paddle. We're only skirting the edge of the island and there's no wind. Ronan lifted a second paddle from the stern. I can help. Foylon looked dubious. Probably best for me to handle the boat until you get used to it. Just push us off there. Ronan pushed hard and the coracle spun like a water beetle. Foylon steadied it skillfully, keeping well clear of the rocks. Can you swim? A bit, said Ronan. It was a clear day and the shallow water was a luminous turquoise blue, deepening to indigo as they paddled around the shoreline. 
There were no gannets on this island, but the cliffs were lined with the nests of smaller seabirds. Black cormorants and crested shags, standing like sentries on the outlying rocks with their wings spread to the sun, and little white kittiwakes huddled together in pairs. There were caves on the shoreline with yellow beaches unreachable by land. A large grey seal, mottled like a stone, swam alongside them in search of company and fish. Fuelon whistled a few words to it in she, and the seal dived underneath the boat. It appeared again, further out to sea, and followed them at a discreet distance. Can you talk to animals? asked Ronan, curious. Fuelon laughed. I wish. No magic. Can't talk to animals. We must be such a disappointment. He lifted a large basket from the bottom of the boat and began to untangle a coiled line fixed with many hooks that he baited one by one. Look, this is something that you can help with. Ronan, although disinclined to handle the wriggling maggots, complied, dropping the baited hooks into the water as the line trailed out behind them. As they moved out into deeper water, his mind began to clear. I want to go back to my family. Foylon lifted the paddle and allowed the boat to drift on the tide. Understood. I will help you do this, but the situation is complicated and it may not happen as quickly as you want. Do you remember the she that brought us to the island? They are my brothers. We decided last night that they should go to your people and give them the message that you are safe. I'm sorry that this couldn't wait, but it was important that they left before the rest of the Dabarku return. Can they travel back to my world? Foylon grinned. My brothers have no human world training, but they are resourceful. They will find a way. So why is it complicated? There was something that you said yesterday. Sounds like a tire? Yes, said Foylon. A tear, the exchange of hostages. Ronan looked at him blankly. In your world, Foylon continued, the taking of hostages is illegal. It is an aggressive act, used by terrorists or kidnappers. The Shi custom of a tear also involves the exchange of hostages, but without placing them under threat. Their presence in the clan is as a pledge to guarantee a contract, and they are treated like honoured guests. The Irish used to have this custom too. They did. The exchange of hostages secures a business deal, but it is intrinsic to the agreement that the hostage understands their situation and gives their consent. Did Ethan Blake explain that he was offering you as a hostage to the she? No, said Ronan. According to Shi law, that means that you are tricked into a hostage situation. Their agreement is null and void. Foylon glanced out to sea. It had become colder and the grey mist of a squall was closing in on the island. I think that we need to shelter. The caracal rocked in the swell as Foylon secured the end of the fishing line to a float that looked to Ronan like the inflated bladder of a pig. They paddled into the nearest inlet 
and pulled the flat-bottomed coracle up onto the sand. Wailon gathered driftwood, lit a small fire in the mouth of the cave, and warmed some mead in a little copper pot. Ronan eyed it suspiciously. I won't be able to drink too much of that. I know, said Foylon. You are another species, different from us in blood and bone, but I can't drink very much for breakfast either. I also brought some fish. He unpacked a medium-sized salmon, lightly smoked and wrapped in seaweed. You have beautiful fangs, said Ronan, watching Foylon negotiate the fish with an anatomy that seemed very much better suited to the job than his own. Thank you. Foylon removed a fish bone from between his magnificent teeth. So, to continue, my clan has heard something of the man who gave you as hostage to the Shi, and we do not trust him. Treaties between the Shi and humans have been made before, but not for centuries. We do not know what he wants. Ronan thought about it. He did not know what Ethan Blake wanted either, although he most certainly wanted something. Giving your interior designer as hostage to an alien species was not normal behaviour. You said there was an exchange. Yes, said Foylon. When Ethan Blake returned to your world, one of the Togon she went with him. A hostage. We do not know what agreement this exchange was meant to seal, but their choice of hostage was a strange one. Generally, a she hostage is an Aigna, a diplomat. Is that a profession? More like a vacation, a calling. I am an Aigna. Isola also. But instead, they selected a warrior, a Behir, like my brother's. Her name is Numan, and she is their best fighter, but she has no human world training. Again, this is very unusual. My intention is to disrupt the situation until I can find out more. So you have captured me? Yes, but you are no longer being deceived. As Foylon said this, he realised that this was not entirely true. He hesitated. Ronan's hands had begun to move like anxious birds. What about Isola? Ronan asked. Isola was your minder. She has been trained in the care of hostages, as have I. Are you my minder now? In a way. Like Isola, I am a scholar. Each of us has lived in your world in order to learn your ways. We have read many of your books and have a superficial understanding of your technologies, although we have no wish to replicate them in our own world. I thought that the Shi didn't read or write. The Shi tradition is an oral one, but that does not mean that we are ignorant. The squall had moved into land and rain drummed down on the sand. Why do the Shi hate technology so much? It was a question which, for some reason, Isola had never been able to answer, or maybe she just hadn't wanted to. We see it as destructive. Look what it has done to your world. 
Ronan reflected on poisoned lakes and rising toxic seas. He had to admit that Foylon had a point. The Xi use some technologies. We do, Foylon agreed. But the process of making is distasteful to us. In Ildahak, these activities are mainly carried out by humans. I have a problem with this, but most of the Xi do not. He threw some more driftwood onto the fire. I know that Isola is your lover. Does this change the way that you feel about her? I'm not sure, said Ronan. To us there is no conflict. Only she who are fascinated by humans become Egna. Sex is a natural progression, but it also makes the hostages easier to control. Ronan thought about it for a while. Do you think that Isola will come to rescue me? Certainly. She will be very angry with me for capturing you, and she will probably try to kill me. The Togon hostage is her daughter. So if something happens to me? Ronan's hands had quietened. He had no particular problem with physical danger. Then there is the risk that Isola will never see her daughter again. Foylon stirred sparks from the embers. Be careful of Isola, Ronan. She does not love your species. But you said, Isola and I were Egna in training together. It is not uncommon for young she to idealise human traditions and scholarship. And she began with an idea about the human world that turned out not to be true. When she went to live in your world and saw the consequences of the thing that you call progress, her fascination with humanity turned to hatred. There is no word for progress in she. And you? Ronan was not always comfortable with eye contact, but he met and held Foylon's gaze. Foylon smiled. Your species is problematic on many levels, but the she are not perfect either. There are many ways that we can learn from you. I do not hate humans in general, and specifically, I do not hate you. He stood up and took off his garment. I'm going to swim. Will you come with me? It will be cold. The squall had passed, and the water sparkled in the sunlight, but it was indeed cold. Ronan stood waist-deep and splashed water on himself, freckles standing out against his pale Irish skin. Voilon plunged and emerged far beyond the mouth of the cave. Swim to me. Ronan commenced a hasty breaststroke, neck bolt upright, and reached Foylon with tingling skin. Foylon held out his hand. Do you want to dive? Ronan nodded. May I touch you? Yes. Foylon wrapped his arms around Ronan in a way that reminded him of a small enclosed space. Deep breath said Foylon, on the count of three. Foylon dived, eyes stinging from the salt. Ronan found himself in a green and wavering world. They swam through a glinting shoal of fish, over a forest of seaweed, to a place where lobsters crawled along the bottom of the seabed and surfaced, 
back where they had started. They climbed back onto the rocks, and Foylon shook himself like a dog, spraying Ronan with water. Are you cold? Ronan nodded, unable to speak. Foylon was good with fires. Within minutes he had set the pile of driftwood ablaze and was warming the rest of the mead. Ronan clenched his teeth to stop them from chattering. It was selfish of me to let you get so cold. Foylon took off his own garment and put it over Ronan's shoulders. It smelt strongly but not unpleasantly of seaweed. Foylon seemed about to speak but was interrupted by the distant blast of something that sounded like a foghorn. He stood up and listened. The horn rang out again, louder this time. What is that? A gathering. We must go. They pushed the coracle out to the fishing float and began to gather in the line, dropping the small silver fish into the basket and securing the hooks around its rim. The horn sounded again. They pulled up the weighted end of the line and paddled quickly back towards the harbour. Their mooring place was almost in sight when Foylon suddenly thought better of it and turned the boat into a tiny natural inlet. Can you wait here? I'm going to find out why they're blowing the horn. Ronan shrugged. Sure. Don't move from here. It's best that nobody sees you. I will come back. Moving very quickly, Foylon scaled an almost invisible path in the steep rock face and disappeared from sight. Ronan was left in the coracle, bobbing up and down in the shallow water, wondering what on earth was going on. <laughs>